What's up, YouTube Nights? Welcome to Lords of the Long Box. Happy new comic book day to you. This is episode 119. I got my usual cast of suspects as well as a special guest tonight. We wanted to bring him on. I've been a big fan of his site, ComicCron.com, for a long time now. And I just wanted to ask him about the comic direct sales market, his January report, and some other things. But before I bring him in, let me bring on my co-host, Ryan, Darkside Jedi. Say what's up to the good people. Yo, what's up, everybody? It's Wednesday. We're back. We're live. And we have a good show tonight. I'm really excited about this one. Stay tuned. Yes, we are. And I got my man, Otto Fonagrado. Say what's up to the people, Otto. What's up to all my Autobots out there joining us on this Wednesday night, episode 119. And I got to give a shout out to Justin, who did the advertisement of the hulk of 119 with maximus the martivo the mad me as the hulk and ryan just looking on so if you're, you're on beat me down YouTube, dude you were getting beat down i was getting beat, beat down look at that <laughs> and so, shout out. speaking of which a returning champion nemesis prime just to say what's up to the people what's going on people it's in cold in jersey but this show is gonna be hot it is gonna be hot because you know why we got a special guest we're gonna be talking to his name is John Jackson Miller. He is the owner operator of comiccron.com. That's C O M I C H R O N. This is, we've used this site for a lot in the last couple of years to talk about sales report data and things of that nature. And I always wanted to get him on here to talk about it. Um, but what you may not also know is his body of work. He has been in the comic industry for a while. He was a managing editor of the Comic Buyer's Guide, uh, the Scry which I don't know about, but it's about a collectible card game that Otto knows about. Uh, not only that, but he also wrote the Knights of the Old Republic for Dark Horse Comics. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this man has done it all. Welcome aboard, John Jackson Miller. Say what's up to the YouTube Knights out there. Hey, what's up, YouTube Knights? All <laughs> right. Here. I don't, we may change the name to YouTube Knights since now we're on podcasts and we're everywhere, so we're not just on YouTube. So I think we're going to call our watchers long boxers. How do you like that? <laughs> the long boxers. <laughs> the long boxers, right? You know, no, that's that's good. My uh, my column for Comics Buyer's Guide was called Long Box Manifesto. So okay. that, uh, there you that, go. That, that sounds like it would work. Why don't and you know what? That's the perfect segue, John. So why don't you before we get into the sales data and I want to talk about the stuff that was talked at the Comics Pro Summit and some other things about sales numbers and we'll talk about the actual January sales numbers. Why don't you tell us about uh, your background and how you got into the kind of comic book industry, how you got into the sales data side of it and the crunching of numbers of comic I'm sorry to interrupt, but talking about sales, we got to talk about our sponsors. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me pay for the bills. I'm so excited to bring John on. Hey, yeah. this show is sponsored by KRSComics.com. <laughs> Go to KRSComics.com, use the discount code of L-O-T-L-B to get 10% off KRS Comics, any KRS Comics exclusives. Show's all brought to you by the TheGeekySwagShot.com. Use the discount code of L-O-T-L-B to get 15% off anything in the TheGeekySwagShot.com. 
And who knows, maybe John can lace us up with some goodies uh, after the show because I think he'll, he'll, he'll tell you about it later. But there's some stuff coming down the pipes for John. So, uh, once again, John, I know John from his work on comiccron.com, but it finds out that he's been doing some stuff that I've been reading since, I don't know, uh, when I first started collecting in the 80s. So, John, wanted to give us a, a brief bio of yourself and uh, where you started and where you are now with the Comic-Cron. Uh, yeah, I was a comics collector as a kid uh, in the 70s. Uh, my first grown-up comic book, so to speak, was Star Wars number one. Uh, read the comic book before I actually saw the movie. Uh, then, uh, you know, I you know, other people's mothers threw their comics away. My mother was a grade school librarian, so she made me wow. put all my comics in Ah, oh, you're so lucky. <laughs> so I still have everything that I ever had. I, I've got all the comics, and uh, and they're still in in reasonable shape, uh, reasonable order. Um, but uh, you know, I began reading uh, Comics Buyer's Guide, the newspaper uh, for the industry uh, in the 1980s. Uh, you know, got uh, a journalism degree, edited my campus newspaper in, in college, uh, wound up getting a, a, a master's degree in Soviet studies uh, just in time for the Soviet Union to collapse on my dissertation. <laughs> uh, Perfect. And so Perfect I, I realized that. I, I realized this is not a this is not a, a direction to go, and so uh, I ended up uh, after a, a detour editing magazines about lumber. Uh, and believe me, uh, you know whatever you've heard about the lumber industry, it, it isn't nearly as glamorous as all of that. Not as exciting as uh, it is. Huh? You mean X Men right. isn't exciting? <laughs> yeah. No, no. So, so, uh, so what? Uh, I in, in an ad in Comics Buyer's Guide, I saw that they were. Uh, hiring for uh, Comics Retailer Magazine, uh, which is uh, the trade magazine or was the trade magazine for the comics industry. It was a sister publication to uh, Comics Buyer's Guide. Uh, I uh, was uh, brought up to uh, Wisconsin uh, just about 25 years ago, uh, and uh, I edited the magazine for uh, about a decade, uh, eventually uh, running other publications while I was there, including uh, the aforementioned Scry, which was a collectible card game magazine about magic, uh, and then later on becoming a, a editorial director doing books and uh, eventually uh, you know, being the editorial director for the entire office out there. Uh, and uh, in the meantime, I, uh, I started uh, moonlighting. Uh, I uh, wrote uh, Iron Man for a year. Um, actually, the first comic book I wrote professionally uh, drew on the whole Soviet Union thing. It was uh, it was a series called Crimson Dynamo that it, it did yeah. for Marvel. Yes, which, yes. Of course, is about the, uh, the the Russian Iron Man. So uh, Crimson Dynamo got me Iron Man. Iron Man got uh, got me Star Wars. Uh, I wrote uh, Knights of the Old Republic for Star Wars for. Uh, about six years in various iterations uh, ended up being like 56 issues. So, you know, that's another thing that I've got coming down the pike here is, uh, is Marvel is reprinting all of those. Nice. Uh, and the third volume of that is, is coming out uh, at the end of March. So Marvel, uh, bought, so, Marvel uh, buy the library for Dark Horse, the, the entire thing? Uh, well, Marvel didn't have to buy it because Disney already owned it when uh, okay. Disney bought uh, Lucasfilm. Uh, gotcha. All licensed comics uh, are almost exclusively uh, owned by the license holder. They're not owned by whoever produced them. 
So, uh, you know, the, the rights to do anything with them, you know, maybe they have to, to, to pay the original publisher something to get the, uh, you know, the, the digital files or to get the, uh, the film or whatever it was that they used. Uh, but, you know, normally uh, when, uh, you know, when Buffy goes from Dark Horse uh, to another publisher or Conan goes or whatever, usually that material goes with the license. I think we could spend uh, so a whole hour just talking about Knights of the Old Republic. Yes. Yeah, I agree. right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, well, it's, it's, it's been done. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's been done. There, there are a lot of... Uh, People can people can Google some of the uh, the other podcasts that I've done over the years about it, but uh, but yeah, I uh, I quit the day job to write full time uh, about twelve years ago, uh, but I decided that I would keep doing the work that I had started, uh, you know, before uh, tabulating sales figures for the industry. Uh, you know, the the nineteen nineties were a very turbulent time for comics. There was a period there where you could not actually do a regular sales chart because not all the uh, not all the publishers were at a single distributor. Uh, so uh, in uh, 1996, I started keeping these monthly charts where uh, I would figure out what the sales figures were by you know talking to various publishers, and then uh, I would put them all together uh, in one unified uh, chart. Right. Uh, and, John, can I ask you what, uh, what that you know was? What what caused you to say you wanted to chart chart this data? Was you were like a comic fan? You were a reader? I know you said all that stuff, but you know you're looking. You're saying why uh, is the business working like this? Well, all those years I had been counting my own comics. I thought I would count everybody else's. <laughs> <laughs> I I, uh, I no. What what happened was we had this tumultuous period where uh, essentially we went from twelve distributors. Uh, to a, a, we had a period called the distributor war, uh, where okay. you know, Marvel bought its own distribution company and withdrew all of its sales to that company. So it was no longer possible to get a single list. Was it called and Heroes or something like that? What was there? Heroes World is what it was called. Yeah. And World, yeah. You know, the thing is, I think that the numbers um, ought to be public. I, it's a public good. One of the reasons that uh, the fallout from the 1990s crash, uh, which you know started right as I got to the company, uh, <laughs> right as I got into the business, uh, you know, this this uh, this market peaked. Uh, one of the reasons that it it crashed was the fact that readers did not have an adequate understanding of how much supply was out there. Uh, you had X-Men Volume 2, Number 1 come out, right. uh, which had sales of, I think my number uh, that I came up with the, from the research was uh, like 8.13 million copies. Wow. Um, and that's the, that's the highest circulation for any comic book in history. And there were people that bought cases and cases and cases of that <laughs> uh, there was one guy in uh, in michigan uh, i heard of who ordered uh five thousand copies and, and i'm again, selling those books was... right now for the low low price of 29.99 now john let me ask you it, this because i think there's sure. been untold podcasts youtube channels websites articles everything about the talk about the bubble 
of the 90s. And we'll talk about it later and how people yeah. think there's a bubble now. But I, what you brought up, a lot of people don't know. A lot of people blame speculators, image comics, and you know all these variant comics. But in actuality, what was it was a foundation of this bad distributing method that helped lead to the, yeah. you know, the downfall. Right? It wasn't you know just variant. Actually, it, it, I would say it's not that it was a bad distributing method because it was actually it was actually great. Um, it's just that whatever we do that gets us out of the last jab, we always end up overdoing. Um, Will Eisner used to say that the comics industry had nearly died three times. Uh, and uh, what I have added to that is every time we invent a new way out, we overdo it and that causes the next disaster. So, uh, for example, you know, the, uh, the crash that we were having in the 1970s was because the newsstand was collapsing. 7-Eleven didn't want to carry comics anymore. Uh, you know, there, there were no place to get the comics and the direct market came along. The comic shops mm -hmm. came along. The, the distributors came along to, to sell to those people. And so the 80s were this great period. The problem is everything that we do, we end up overdoing. Uh, and we had this uh, cycle in the early 90s where we had 12 comic distributors uh, at one point. And we also had... Uh, what I would say is a credit bubble, and I'm not the only person who calls it that. Uh, we, we had uh, these distributors that had invested so much money in the infrastructures uh, to, to run their comics warehouses. Diamond and Capital City Distribution each had something like 20 warehouses across North America. They had their own trucking fleets. They actually were driving the comics to the actual stores and their field reps and the other distributors that were in the business were in a war with each other in the early 90s, trying to open as many comic shops as they possibly could to defeat the other guys and to, you know, to build a critical mass. And so we had a period in the early 90s where you saw comic shops opening across the street from one another. You saw yeah. shops, you saw shops where they had absolutely no idea uh, how to run a business. Uh, there were shops that weren't shops. There were there were accounts that were you know guys selling comics out of the back of their cars uh, that had direct market sales accounts. Uh, you know the weekend warriors at the flea markets. Um, you know in, in my hometown of Memphis, uh, you know I I remember uh, some of the craziest things. We had one comic shop location that was above a liquor store. Awesome. Uh, there was the, there was, a, there was a, everything right there. Well, it was actually a pretty good location. It was huge. Yeah. Um, uh, but the, there was another location where you know, the guy called it a comic shop, but it was in a medical building. It was in one of these medical office buildings in what was clearly a psychiatrist's office or what was normally supposed to be one. So you have the you have the lounge out front where they had all the current issues. And then you had the doctor's office in the back where they had all the back issues. Wow. And it was insane. And it was not supportable. Uh, you know, there were many times more stores than the business could support. Uh, the retailers that were doing uh, a, a lot of these stores had no clue about the basics of, of the, the industry. There, uh, there was a case where, uh, as, as I said, where there were two stores open across the street from each other. 
And one of them was offering 45% off the cost of new comics to people who walked in to walk-ins. Well, at 45% off, you've got to sell 90% of the comics to make a dime. Uh, you, you can't have any uh, mistakes. Not a sustainable what ended, business model at all whatsoever. And so what happens is, you know, uh, and, and this is something which on Comicron now I have, uh, uh, I'm going year or month by month and looking at uh, this thing that happened 25 years ago and looking at the magazine as we were reporting it. Uh, you know, January of 1994, 25 years ago, uh, we had a thousand accounts close. Uh, it might not have been a thousand stores, but it was just like that. Uh, and uh, and John, you when know, you say a thousand, because a lot of people equate that with stores, but you know, part to, to to what you were just saying, anybody could get an account and sell it out of their yeah. garage or like the right. trunk of their flea car. market guys, like you said. Yeah. So we have no real idea how many exact stores there were. Uh, 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 you know, we believe it was somewhere in the seven thousand range, but uh, again. You know, we this was a number that had tripled over the course of basically when I I gauged the boom as having started with Batman in 1989, the the, the movie by Tim Burton. Yeah. Uh, and and so you had a lonely place of dying and you had the first comic book that had multiple covers, uh, which was uh, Legends of the Dark Knight. Uh, and and that was in 1989. Um, incidentally. Those variant covers were designed to help the retailers, uh, you know, not to cash in. Um, the sales on that comic book were so astounding uh, that DC was afraid that retailers were going to get stuck with it. And so they decided, well, let's see if we can come up with some way to help these retailers sell these books. And so they broke up the shipment. There, there was no way they could actually get you know, Legends of the Dark Knight number one all million or so copies to the store anyway in one week. The printer just didn't have enough volume at that point. So what they did is they put four different covers on it and staggered the shipments across four weeks. Uh, and uh, and they weren't even really, you know, special variants. It was, uh, you know, one was a teal cover and one was yellow and one was pink. There you uh, go, guys, and, in the live chat. Uh, go out and look for those books. Right. There we have the oh, inception yeah. oh, of the variant covers. Justin, so that that's was, like your birthday. Let me ask you this, John. Yeah, that was, so now, yeah. So, so that was where all that started. Yeah. Yeah. So now with Comic Con, it's amazing. You guys really need to go to ComicCon.com because the sales data that he's kept since what the '90s is amazing. Because well, it, it goes what you have it annual and month the, by I month, the, right? I have the month by month data, um, you know, which I started in '96. I've started working my way back on that. So I've got 25 years or so of monthly charts. I then also run the annual charts when we have them from the distributors. Uh, but then there's other data sets that I've got. Um, you know, probably the, the data set that I'm most known for outside of the monthly charts is um, in the backs of comics for 50 years, there were these, uh, there were these little uh, you know, body, uh, bodies of text called uh, statements of ownership. And they would have circulation figures in them. Oh. This is actually something that goes back to the 1860s. Holy cow! Uh, the 1850s, really, because uh, these were um, if you if you wanted to sell your magazine uh, and send it through the mail and get the the cheap mailing rate, the second class mailing rate, you have to file every year one of these statements. 
and you have to publish the statement in your magazine. You can go out right now, get People Magazine or something like that from uh, Time Magazine, whatever, uh, you know, from around November or December every, every year, you will find one of these statements. In 1960, they actually made them start printing how many copies they printed, how many copies they sold, rather. And so there are something like 4,000 of these forms that have appeared in comic books, everything from Spider-Man to Dennis the Menace. Uh, and I have got 98% of these things now. Mm. It's taken me 20 years to collect them all. And, uh, you know, this is going to be something that some of it is already on Comicron. You can see some of my early work where you can see the top sellers for 1960, 1961, 1962. That's not even a fraction of the day that I've got. Uh, and over the course of 2019, as I get time, you're going to see, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to be able to do actual sales charts telling you not just, you know, what was selling um, in you know, these individual years after 1960, but I'll be able to do the individual months as well. Uh, and uh, and so that, that's, that's yet another data set. Uh, there's a third data set, which I haven't begun to scratch the surface of. Uh, and that is that uh, sales charts uh, or rather sales figures for comics have actually been kept since the 1930s, since wow. they actually began. Uh, and again, this is another sort of historical accident that we have this information. Um, if, if, you're, if, you're, if you're going to buy an ad in a magazine, you want to go someplace and find out how many copies are really being shipped. Uh, so there are these things called audit bureaus. And most of the publishers were part of the Audit Bureau of Circulation uh, back in the 1930s, 40s, 50s, 60s. And all their sales figures were not public. They were there for people who belonged to that organization to look at for these advertisers. The hostess, the hostess Twinkies people were able to right. go look at these numbers. That's awesome. Well, well this, these numbers only exist on microfilm at their headquarters. And I have been uh, I have been going there. I've gone a couple of times already uh, to look at the microfilm and you know, copy as much data as I can get. Holy and cow! So, I hope they're going to digitize it somehow because uh, that just uh, they, they, like... will, they will never digitize it. If it's going to be done, it's going to be by somebody like me or somebody right. who's a, a researcher. Holy uh, because wow. because it's not in there. It's not it's not something that they yeah. yeah how comics sold 80 years ago is not really something that helps them make money. Yeah. Uh, it's, the comic books were so scrutinized back then for, you know, their advertising and, you know, other than the stories and the artists, that's pretty amazing. So all those ads, well, it's, it, it's about the money. It's about right. the money. No, it absolutely if, is. If, if, if you're going to be buying, uh, you know, uh, and in those days, some of the, some of these circulations were huge. If you're going to be buying an ad that's going to run in 7 million comic books, mm -hmm. you want to make sure it actually ran in 7 sure. million comic books. Because, uh, you know, one of the problems with comics uh, uh, is the fact that in the early days, it was part of the magazine industry more than, you know, now it's kind of on, on its own island. Right. Uh, but but the magazine industry was, was a mess back then. It was in the 30s, 40s, 50s. Uh, it was really mobbed up. Uh, one of the things that that you know the yeah, everybody remembers the 1950s and the the, the, the censorship hearings uh, on comics. Yeah. 
if, if you go back and look at those hearings, about half of the time, they're talking about the mafia. They're talking about the fact that uh, comics distribution, like all magazine distribution, was run by the mob, uh, or at least the or, or at least the mob was controlling routes uh, that were going to newsstands in places like New York and Philadelphia and Chicago. And so the guy who ran the hearings, uh, Estes Kefauver from my home state of Tennessee, uh, his whole deal, he didn't really so much care about you know these comic books are warping Johnny's mind. <laughs> what he cared what he cared about was that he was going to run for president in 1956, and he wanted to run as the mob buster, uh, the guy who was uh, doing this. He did run for president. He lost. He ended up being the vice presidential nominee in 1956 for uh, 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 for the Democratic Party. And he lost to uh, Eisenhower. Holy so, so there's uh, he, your he was, two degrees of separation between Eisenhower, the mob, and comics. <laughs> <laughs> right. that's, so, so let's fast, so, uh, let's uh, fast forward know, to um, your most recent uh, January yeah. sales numbers, and let's let's yeah. talk about that because I think it's interesting. Uh, we're always hearing like oh, you, I talked about it earlier, the bubble and sales are dying, comic books, everybody's nobody's buying comics anymore. I think your January sales number actually found something interesting from January of this year to January of last year. Can you talk about that? Yeah, uh, we're, we're uh, the sales are up. Uh, yeah, the uh, the sales uh, for uh, the month of January. And I'm right now I'm actually reading the uh, reading the chart. Almost $45 million worth of comics, uh, graphic novels, uh, magazines. Say that one more time. $45 million. $45 million. Uh, that is the highest dollar figure in nominal terms. Now, that's not adjusted for inflation. That's just you know, the, 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 the actual you know, number there, $45 million. That is the highest for any January ever. Uh, and it is... Uh, it is uh, it is uh, it's it's even over the uh, the January that we had in 2015, which was when Star Wars went back to Marvel, and that was yeah. that gargantuan month with that million copy seller there. Um, and part of what happened is that uh, you know the holidays are always weird. Uh, December we only had three real shipping weeks in December. Um, we had a fourth shipping week where. There was only a handful of books that came out uh, from uh, from Marvel, DC, the major publishers, uh, and uh, most everything. Uh, it's it's not that they did extra issues in January, but since Diamond just didn't really ship a normal week, Christmas week, uh, mm -hmm. you know, if you were expecting reorders of graphic novels or something, they likely fell into the first shipping week in January. And so we also have the fact that January is a five-week month. Uh, January was a five-week month also last year, but this year we were up 14% in dollars over this time last year. If you put January and December together uh, and compare it against previous Januaries and Decembers, you know, that, that means you know, it's a little bit less quirky at that point. We're not worried about the calendar at that point because we, we've got nine shipping weeks in here and Christmas is in both. Uh, and I figured out when you did that comparison, you know, we're still ahead. Uh, we're still ahead. Uh, I can't remember what the percentage was. It was low single or middle middle single digits, five or six percent. Uh, and, uh, you know, more than 300,000 more comics shipped 
this December, January than the previous December, January. And, uh, and that's good. Uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, we're still behind where we were in, uh, 2015, 2016, which was sort of the peak of the last little run that we had. Uh, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, one of the things that we saw happening during 2018 was, uh, things stabilized. Uh, we, we stopped having, uh, this dramatic bleed that was happening in 2017, uh, which was, there were, there were a couple of things going on there. Uh, you know, Marvel had a major event, a uh, secret empire, uh, that underperformed. Yeah. Uh, but then we also got into some very difficult comparatives. Uh, one of the things people need to keep in mind whenever they're saying, well, this, the, you know, the market is down 5% uh, year over year. They need to look at what it's down against. So one of the reasons that the second half of 2017 was horrible was that it was comparing against Rebirth. That was DC Rebirth, which was uh, you know, which was uh, which was ju- basically started in June of 20, uh, 2016 and goes on through the end of the year. Uh, the entire line is returnable for all that time. Almost every issue DC had out in that period was uh, an issue one, two, three, four, or five. Uh, well, you compare that to what DC was selling a year later, uh, and those issues are in the you know the 15s and the 20s and the 30s in the numbering. Of course, the sales are going to be worse. Let me so uh, yeah. that's that's kind of you know, the the way I one of the reasons that I do Comicron is not to you know convince anybody of what things are going to be like in the future. It's to give some perspective as to you know why things look the way they do now versus the way they did. Here's what they look like before. And yeah, if you want to see what a crash really looks like, come back with me to the 1990s or to the <laughs> 1970s or to the 1950s, uh, exactly. because that was that was serious business. So let me ask you about, um, and we talked about this a bit offline, um, at the Comics Pro Summit that just happened a couple of weeks ago, uh, yeah. somebody you're familiar with, Brian Hibbs, uh, got on the podium and he basically uh, lambasted the market and he said some things that you, even your own Twitter account kind of brought uh, and said, you know, comparatively, he's saying that 10% of comic shops closed uh, things. Sales are going down. The variants are killing us. Can you speak on that and what you think about what uh, Brian Hibbs said at comic pros and if uh, your past relationship with them? Uh, well, I, uh, I mentioned comics retailer magazine, I've been editing, or I started editing Brian Hibbs's columns in Comics Retailer 25 years ago. Uh, he actually is the longest-running columnist in, in opinion columnist in comics, because uh, he goes even back before me to Comics Buyer's Guide. Uh, and and so uh, you know, I I I've I've know a lot of his views about the business, and and also those of some of the other speakers there. Uh, Joe Field, the uh, the uh, you know the keynote speaker as well. He was and a columnist. Joe, John, I don't want to interrupt you, but for the folks in the live chat and people who are going to be watching this yeah. later, we're talking about the Pro Summit. You can see the article about it on BleedingCool.news. Yeah. There was even another one by a really disreputable website called Cosmic New Comic News that said that Disney is going to be getting rid of yeah. the Marvel comics, and it was all this to kind of brought. It was they yeah. all went back to the Bleeding Cool article and Bleeding Cool even yeah. came out and said, no, no, we didn't say that. And this is based. That's yeah. why I wanted to bring you on. Yeah. Because what Brian yeah, Hibbs co- said kind of set kind of shockwaves throughout the industry. 
Well, what, I, what I want to get to in terms of who he was talking to in that, uh, Comics Pro is the comics uh, retailer organization. It's just the comics shops. So you know, he was talking to other retailers and some representatives who were in the in the building uh, from the publishers as well. Uh, and so, you know, there are several other uh, you know, people that uh, have been have been, you know, uh, uh, instrumental in making changes to the industry. Uh, you know, free comic book day. Joe Fields idea came out of Comics Retailer magazine, uh, an idea that he published in that magazine. Uh, and and uh, the 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 thing is, this is really inside baseball. A lot of stuff that Brian was talking about. Uh, a lot of it has to do with uh, a particular problem that has come about in the last 10 years. Uh, and that is that uh, the market, and I, I did some numbers on my, on my Twitter, which is uh, at Comicron. Uh, I, I did some numbers showing that uh, the market has sort of flattened uh, in certain parts of the sales slope over the last 10 years. It used to be, that you had a relatively small number of huge titles from the major publishers. Uh, and once you got through about 150th or 200th place on the chart, it just dropped down like a rock. You went from Marvel and DC and Images books and Dark Horse's books to, you know, whatever the small publishers that were surviving at that time were, you know, Fantagraphics or Claypool or whoever, these very small publishers uh, and so, for example, in January of, uh, of uh, 1999, uh, the 300th place comic book sold a little over a thousand comics, a little over a thousand copies. Um, well, you compare that with now. Um, the big, you know, we still have titles that are doing huge numbers like Action 1000 and, uh, you know, Batman 50 and things like that. But... In, it's in that sort of you know, plateau after that, where instead of books that are selling regularly in the 80s and 90s, they're now selling in the 70s and uh, 60s. And you kind of have had at, at, at the bottom end of the chart, uh, things have actually uh, improved dramatically. And part of it is because uh, unlike in the 90s, uh, in the latter half of the 90s, uh, we, you know, even though we had in the early '90s uh, some some rivals to Marvel and DC, because Image you know, exploded, Image and you had Valiant, Valiant yeah. you had Valiant doing well, and you had Malibu doing well. Uh, but by the time you get to the latter half of the '90s, every publisher besides Marvel, DC, Image, and Dark Horse that has more than eight books a month goes away. Uh, you know, Viz kind of doesn't count because they're doing manga just being reprinted. But everybody else that's a regular publisher goes away. Uh, even in the early 2000s, cross-gen, you know, oh, it yeah. has a flash that only lasts about three, four years. But you get to the mid-2000s uh, when the market is beginning to stabilize because Marvel has gotten its act together after its bankruptcy and the trade paperback has really saved the business. Uh, we have this period where uh, we now start to get IDW doing really well and doing 50 books a month sometimes. You get uh, Dynamite. You get... Uh, uh, Read Lots of Valiant as well. 
Well, that's you, you get later. Valiant relaunched. Yeah. Uh, you you get you get yeah, that's that's in there. I mean, you get you know Titan. You get a number of publishers that are doing you know, more than five or six books a month. And so what happens here is it's like television. Uh, you know, when in the 1960s there were three TV networks. Uh, you know, 1970s you added PBS. 1980s you added Fox. Yeah. Uh, but for broadcast, that was it. And then cable came along and suddenly you start having, you know, you no longer have these huge numbers for TV episodes on the major networks, uh, but you now have this proliferation of all these smaller and smaller and smaller outlets that are still doing numbers that are good enough to sell advertising. Uh, and that's what we've got here. We now have, you know, 400 comic books coming out a month that are selling, uh, you know, uh, uh, at the levels that maybe the 250th place comic book was selling 20 years so ago. With this being a correct, correct analogy that the comics market now is a much bigger pie. And so even if you have a small slice of that pie, it's still bigger the, than that slice you got the, in the 90s. The periodical part is about the same. Uh, we've we've been around 7 million, sometimes 6 million, sometimes 8 million comic books a month. Uh, the actual, the actual you know, individual, individual comic books. Uh, uh, you know, the uh, we we that's been a sort of in a steady range over the course of the last twenty years. What's happened is the graphic novels have dumped another half billion dollars a year on the market, wow. and that is that's the other thing people have to sort of understand is, oh my gosh, the individual comics are only selling four, five, ten thousand copies each. They don't have to sell anymore. They just have to sell enough copies that you can get to this. The trade. That you can get to the that you can get to the trade. That's right. all they need. And so, so by, by trade, that token, by that token, means, yeah, the collected yeah, like you, paper, gotta, you need to get the twelve or, issues to collect yeah. those twelve issues in the world. right, right, yeah. And so by that token, almost every comic book that I've heard somebody say this thing is failing because of look at these numbers. Most of them are actually not because they're not reliant on the comic book for their revenue. It's a, so it's a much John, let different me ask you this. It, it almost sounds it like when you get a TV show, your goal is to get into syndication, which is almost like the trade, right? You want to make enough issues so you can have trade volumes or, that you can come out with. Or, or, or more specifically, sell the DVD. <laughs> this is go. what we've got here. We're yeah. selling seasons of our comic books on DVDs. Yeah. One more thing I wanted to ask you about the Brian Hibbs interview at Comics Pro yeah. was his contention about the shops closing. And I thought you brought up a really great point offline when you started actually looking about, I don't know what his exact quote he said, maybe 10% of comics shops are closing yeah. since what, 2017 or something? Here's uh, here's the thing. He he didn't actually have either a year on it or or where that had come from. That was just one of his things. He he had said that was one of the estimates. Um, yeah. And so I went to him directly to find out what it was. Um, one of the things is that nobody in comics has ever really made public the number of comic shops. This goes back to those days when the distributors were going to war with each other. They were trying to get each other's mailing lists. They were trying to get each other customers. They didn't want that number out there. We sort of know what it is. We sort of know that right now it's it's in the 2,000 to 2,500 range. But part of the problem is, uh, you know, it, defining what a comic shop is, uh, defining what, uh, you know, uh, it, it, what makes a full line comic shop. And so uh, I asked him where that number came from. 
And uh, it was another one of the former columnists of Comics Retailer Magazine, uh, a retailer named Phil Boyle, who has also published uh, articles uh, and he gave a speech there as well, uh, you know, about things that need to be done for the business. And, and again, one of the things that retailers are concerned about is this proliferation of titles and the fact that it is a lot harder to make a go of it when you know you're only selling maybe one or two copies of 500 different titles as opposed to you know uh, you know 50 copies of 10. Uh, there's there, there's quite a big difference of, uh, there. Uh, but what he had done, uh, Phil had presented a slideshow where he had tabulated uh, that since July of 2017. Uh, 218 comic shops had gone out, or 218 shops had gone out, uh, and he shared. Uh, Phil shared with me the list, uh, and uh, I believe, and he agreed uh, that the number of actual comic shops in that list is probably less than half. Right. Wow. Uh, because uh, Phil was Phil was also looking at game stores. He was also looking at uh, everything basically in the. Uh, in the geek culture so space. So basically, it could so have been. If you a, look at, it could have been a store that sold toys, games, collectibles, and yeah. oh, by the way, comics right. as well. And so, he lumped yeah, that in with the number and, and of Yeah, and in many cases, in, in many cases, they did have comics, but they didn't have diamond accounts. Okay. And so, so you yeah, they might have had the, they might have had back issues or the leftovers from some other store. So but to call them to you know, part of the ordering. You know, Go ahead, Otto. No, I was going to say, curious to see, was there any region in, in particular that those hundred stores, let's say, of those broke, were there like more in the Northeast? Was there more in the Midwest, the West Coast? Uh, it, I, mean, I, did, I didn't I didn't break it down like that when I looked at the list. Right. All I did was I I just immediately went into my spreadsheet and I started, you know, redlining this one, this one, this one. This right. is this this is a this is a retro video game store. Yeah, this right. Is, that has uh, comics. This is, so and, think, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and again, this is yeah. That's one of the nothing, main reasons. Nothing against Phil's yeah, list, uh, you know, because he he is in competition with a lot of stores like that. There are stores that do carry that stuff that are in competition. Oh, by the way, the, he Joe Hibbs is also the uh, owner of Comics Experience in San Francisco. He owns two shops, uh, so you know that's just the preface yeah, that when yeah, you're saying Bri that, yeah, yeah, that's that's Brian Hibbs. Uh, Brian Hibbs owns Comics Experience in San Francisco. Uh, and uh, and Phil Boyle owns Coliseum of Comics, which is a chain in Florida. But he also does games and he has toys and he has a lot of other things. Right. So when you come down to it, probably the loss in stores is more in the low single digit percentages or middle single digit percentages as opposed to 10. And then we have the element that nobody who's really done a list of these things is also looking at the number of shops that opened. Uh, I just did uh, I did a Google search and found uh, 40 different comic shops that had grand openings that were not reopenings or were not moves or anything like that in the last 12 months. So that's and important so, to uh, note that, you know, when people yeah. are saying shops are closing left and right or whatever, but, you know, you're saying yeah. there's a balance like the force, right? You, you know what I'm saying? Well, so you got, I'm not saying all of them open or the same amount, right. but there's still some that are opening up as well. The, the real indicator that people want to look at is the sales figures. Uh, that's one of the reasons why when I saw the numbers, I said, you know, it can't be 10% because if you lost 10% of the comic shops, you would have lost more than 10% of the, of the sales in the industry that's because yeah, that's a haircut of 10% off the top, 
but then all the other comic shops would have also lost some sales. So it should have been like uh, in 2017, we should have lost more than 10% of the market. What happened is we lost 10% of the volume in 2017. 2018 was flat. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's, it, it, it looks to me like uh, in 2018, we got closer to replacement level, if you want to call it that, with the number of shops. You know what? And yeah, you know, I want to wrap up this segment of it. And I think it's great. I think you guys all need to go to comiccron.com. That's C-O-M-I-C-H-R-O-N. Look at the sales data. The information he has in there is invaluable as a collector. If you just want to know the history of things. And uh, John, before you leave, I want you to talk about the stuff because people are asking in the live chat, what do you do? We're like, you know, <laughs> they didn't, they didn't hear the conversation we had before you came online. Yeah. Uh, why don't you tell us, uh, first of all, we're a huge we're all big star wars fans here john wrote the first 50 issues or the only 50 issues of knights of the old republic the adaptation of dark horse uh why don't you tell us about what's happening yeah. with dark or uh, with the uh, knights of the old republic and what you have in yeah. the dude he's working both sides of fandom he's got star trek and star wars but I'll yeah, let i can't go. wait this yeah. is unbelievable <laughs> Yeah, uh, as noted, my, my day job is writing comics and novels, uh, mostly tie-in work uh, for, for various uh, franchises. Uh, I, I've written Star Wars, uh, Star Trek, uh, I, I, Mass Effect, Halo, uh, Simpsons, Conan, uh, Planet of the Apes, uh, a variety of different things. Uh, and so, you know, what I have out here uh, this year, um, you know, Marvel has been doing uh, collected editions of the Knights of the Old Republic series I did, uh, 56 issues. Uh, it, it's basically a 1,280-page graphic novel. Uh, the first two volumes are already out uh, in these epic collections. Uh, volume three uh, comes out in uh, the later part of uh, March, so look, at, look for that in your comic shop. Uh, also in your comic shop now, uh, I uh, have a, the Battlestar Galactica, the 40th anniversary Galactica uh, comic series uh, from Dynamite uh, is coming out. And so the third issue is on shelves now, and the, the fourth issue uh, should be coming out uh, you know, early in April. Uh, and uh, then uh, as well, uh, I have some more stuff at Dark Horse. Uh, I've, got a, uh, I've got two different original graphic novels. Uh, uh, one is uh, for the live action uh, movie that's coming out at the end of this month, uh, based on Tim Burton's Dumbo. Uh, <laughs> you had uh, this it, when they told me that this movie had Tim Burton and Danny DeVito and Michael Keaton and Danny Elfman music. Uh, I, I said, okay, I don't, I don't care whether it's about a flying elephant. This should be interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so I wrote. I wrote an original graphic novel for Dark Horse, which is coming out at the end of March for that. And then, uh, you know, later in, uh, in I think it's June or July, uh, John Favreau, who, who directed uh, Iron Man, uh, which incidentally used uh, one of my characters uh, uh, from, uh, from my old Iron Man comics that I used Ooh. to write. Uh, well, uh, the, uh, the, uh, uh, when, I, when I did Iron Man for a year, uh, we had a reporter that appeared and she's Christine Everhart, the blonde reporter that ah, appears in Iron Man 1 and yeah. 2. And, and then, actually, they just recently, uh, in Ant-Man and the Wasp, they used uh, our villain from, from one of those storylines. I hope you're he getting residuals the, for these. Are you getting paid? He, he, well, he was, he was the villain that Walton Goggins played in okay. Ant-Man and the Wasp. Oh, okay. And so they've, 
So they they flew me and my wife and also uh, Jorge Lucas, who was the artist of those comics, to Hollywood for the uh, the premiere back in uh, June of last year. Oh, that okay, was John, really cool. Since but, you know them, what can you tell us about Avengers Endgame? <laughs> I know absolutely nothing. <laughs> I, I know absolutely nothing. I I just know that I just know that uh, it was very cool getting to see the the name on the big screen and right. uh, and that was. That was really surreal seeing that uh, in the in the theater with all the people who had worked on the movie because they would see their own names in the credits and so the cheers would go up randomly in one part or another of this theater. It's like, oh, there's the digital effects people. Oh, there's the, oh, there's the makeup people. Uh, but, you know, already, but anyway, did you already talk well, about Star Trek while I was? I, uh, no, I haven't gotten to it yet. Oh, I, was, okay. I was saying that I was saying that in addition to the uh, the live action Dumbo graphic novel that I have coming out from Dark Horse. Uh, John Favreau uh, from from Iron Man is doing a live action Lion King. Yeah, and so I have uh, I wrote the I wrote the Lion King original graphic novel. It's coming out also from Dark Horse. You know, these are kids comics. Um, you know, this really this one was a lot of fun because it felt like I was doing one of those Disney comics that I used to read as a kid. Uh, you know, when, yeah. when, when it'd be Lady and the Tramp's kids scamp that would be running around. That's almost exactly what this is. It's just with lions. Now, John, uh, my, my girlfriend is a huge, huge Disney fan. Uh, yeah. If you send a signed copy of Dumbo, that would just make her. <laughs> she cries every time I'm, she sees I'm, the trailer. I swear to God. I'm, I'm waiting to see it myself. Uh, oh. I haven't I haven't got a copy of anything I, yet. I, but, I've been uh, telling everybody that Dumbo is going to scar a whole new generation of children like generation. we did when we first well, saw we'll it. We'll see. Oh, I, it is, uh, it's, yeah, the, the graphic novel is unique. Um, what I like about it is it's a period piece. It takes place right after the end of World War One. Mm. Uh, so it's kind of at the heyday of circuses. Uh, and, uh, yeah, there's, there's, yeah, there's a Tim Burton style to it. And we tried to capture that in the book. Uh, so, so yeah, that comes out then. And then the thing that really has kind of, you know, uh, taken over most of, uh, you know, my winner here. Uh, is uh, Star Trek Discovery has novels coming out from Simon and Schuster. I had already written uh, one of the 50th anniversary trilogies for the uh, for the Star Trek uh, novel line a couple of years ago, uh, and they asked me to write a novel that would explain where Pike and Spock, Captain Captain Pike and uh, and Spock, were with the Enterprise during season one of discovery i'm so, in so on this. I can't uh, wait the for book this. is called so the book is called star trek discovery the enterprise war and it takes place over the course of about a year and a half and i do some serious property damage uh, <laughs> i i had to i had to really go through all the all the guides to how things work on the enterprise to see uh okay well will the will the ship still work if i do this to it uh or if i do that to it so so that yeah is... that is that is uh that's the day job and and then you know i break off every every month to do the uh, the sales charts and to add a little bit more data uh to the past and when uh, is but the that uh, book knights is and the old republic out, trade uh, i believe it's a when is the knights of the old republic trade coming out the epic i collection? believe I believe I believe that's the end of March. Uh, I don't have an exact date on it uh, because if you look at Amazon, Amazon is always like two weeks later than the direct market. Yeah. Uh, and so I, you know, I could, uh, but just uh, just look for uh, Star Wars Epic Collection: The Old Republic, uh, and it's going to be Volume Three. Volume One and Two are still in print, so you'll be able to get all three. 
and you'll have uh, you know a a you know, four or five pounds of, of good reading. All right. Well, <laughs> yeah. John, it's just a I, lot of I really want to thank you for coming on. I think you gave so much good data, and I think that's people really need to get this information, especially now where like there's so much online tug of war, uh, this versus that. And it's great that you could come on, give a sales number. You guys check them out on Twitter. It's comic cron C O M I C H R O N. Check out comiccron.com. Look for the star Trek discovery book. Look for the Knights of the old Republic epic collection. John, any last words? Uh, just live long and prosper, or may the force be with you. And, All right. Uh, I guess since I, since I got a galactica comic too, I guess there are those who believe. <laughs> All right. So, All right, John. Thanks right, for thanks hanging lot, out everybody. with us. We're gonna do a rest of our little show here, but really appreciate you. Maybe you know, every now and then you can come on. You can talk about whatever monthly sales we're having. Really, I think that would be some great data that folks would enjoy having. All right. Thanks for having me. All righty, John. Thank you, and uh, live long and prosper, and may the force be with you. That's right. <laughs> All right, boys and girls. Uh, that was Mr. John Jackson Miller. He also goes to conventions. Check him out. Like I said, comiccron.com. As a collector, you should be checking that out. And you know, we're running a little late, guys, but I think we got some news that we should uh, throw down at you guys while we got some time. You guys still up for it? Damn, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, you know what? I've been neglecting the live chat. What's up to everybody in live chat? What's up to my cousin John Win One? King of Ghost Home Down, Joseph Taylor, Stay Puff. Johnny Boy, we got a, we had like 65 people in there and now we got we're down to 52. So hopefully uh we can re-energize you folks re with uh but that was a lot of you know what that data was really good. It really I was, was. I, hey, I was I learned fascinated a lot. by yeah. it. You know what I mean? I'm a big nerd number, number nerd, That's so right. really that stuff and uh let's well, go I back Stan Lee was connected to the mob then you know yeah, right, right. Uh, <laughs> hey well Stan Lee hey. was the main guy if you ever watch Goodfellas man you should know man that all that trucking all that stuff was all yeah, handled Stan by Lee the mob you had to grease some palms if you needed to get your deliveries over. but let's bring up to talk about the news and we briefly talked about it uh on there Brian what's the first thing well Disney shutting down Marvel comics. Holy shit. Can what? you believe that? My mind is blown. What are we going to do? What are we going to read? Oh my God. The sales numbers are so bad that uh, John just shared with us that. Yeah. Disney is getting rid of Marvel comics. Can you believe that? Well, it's bullshit. Cause you know who put it a website called uh cosmic trash.com. No, no, no. I'm sorry. It's cosmic book news. Uh, com. And they speculated that Disney is shutting down Marvel Comics. Mm. And and then it was because of that Bleeding Cool article. And it was because of the Brian Hibbs speech at Comics Pro. And that's why I had John come out and debunk that. So basically, it was a one-hour debunk of this one article <laughs> was what I was getting at. But just to show you, the comics market is healthy. Disney is Super not really getting What did he Marvel. say? $45 million? 45 million 45 units in million. January in wow. the month of January, wow. put that in perspective. And what's interesting is what he said really this. Okay. So he took the 300 comics that sold 20 years ago compared to the 300 comic that sold on January was Betty and Veronica sold four times as many copies and it was number 300 on the list. So put that into perspective so that the market is bigger now. So, mm. Uh, so fuck you, Cosmic Book News or whatever. <laughs> I think we debunked their website before as far as having bad. Uh, if you look, that's the definition of clickbait. 100%. Yeah, well, so fuck them. They get the fuck you of the uh, fuck you of the day. We're going to make that a segment. So watch out, right. YouTube channels. This is some clickbait. <laughs> Go watch the Hellboy Red Band trailer. Uh, our you rated, know what? Our rated Hellboy, ladies and gentlemen. That should look dope. Now, all you had to know 
It's Hellboy flying a fucking hell dragon. Yeah, that, that jumped the shark, Tim. I'm not impressed with that, man. That's, <laughs> what? You didn't like be, that? No, oh. I'm telling you, I didn't like it. I, I really was trying to get in on it, and then, oh, no, no. That might have been, you know, Arthur Fonzarelli jumping a shark right there. So, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, you know what? Like I think the, the Red Band trailer really made it for me. I think once I saw the Red Band trailer for Hellboy, man, I was like, you know what? I can see this. It's violent. The uh, It's got some funny things to it. And then the Asian guy turns into, a, like, a leopard, a panther or some shit. I don't know if it's based in the comic, but I'm sold. You know what? Captain Marvel, Shazam, Endgame, Hellboy, Dark Phoenix. I'm going to watch Keep them all. Keep it coming. I'll, I'll watch them all too. Yeah. Hey, Comic-Con is in the live chat. That's awesome. If you guys have any questions, ask them. He's in the comic chat, live chat right now. He can answer any questions you guys have about sales and any of that good stuff, man. He's got a YouTube channel as well. I, I should have promoted that. I'm sorry. But he's got a YouTube channel that he gets to whenever he can. He's a busy man, as you can well see. But Ryan, what's next? I think we've been talking about this for 20 years. I don't think we've been doing the show as long as we've been talking about this. Flash wow. news, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, there some Believe it or not, it's good, information. it's good news. Flash actually has uh, new writers and a new producer. Uh, the guy, the producer name cracks me up, actually. His name is Michael Disco. I don't know if that's a real name or if a Hollywood name, but he's now the producer. He's formerly of New Line Cinema. And what the good news is, the writers of Into the Spider-Verse are going to be writing Flash. It's being rewritten. Well, that's good, because Into the Spider-Verse was the best damn Spider-Man movie I've ever seen. Yeah, I watched it again this week. I've it's seen it three times in the theaters. Yeah. No, that didn't do the theaters. No, three but. times. I, well, you know, I got AMC Plus, man, so you know yeah, what I'm saying? Right, so. yeah. Justin, what do you think? You're the big, you're a big DC guy fan. I mean, I, I actually like the the writing team uh, into the Spider Verse for Flash. What do you think? No, I mean, yeah, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I mean, this is a great move forward. The Into the Spider Verse was an amazing movie, won an Oscar. So hey, I, this is a, definitely a step forward for DC movies. Yeah, I mean, if you could just, geez, it's it's been just delayed for so long now. It's like you know, the guy who played him in uh, Ezra, what's his name, Ezra Miller. Ezra Miller. Yeah. yeah. He did a pretty good job of it. My favorite is still the Flash from TV, right? I still think he's a cool uh, Flash. But I think yep. people liked his version in uh, Justice League, you know? And so, you know, you got to strike while the iron's hot, right? You know, while people are still talking about it. Don't let it go on for four or five years. Um, but uh, what else, Ryan? I think we, well, we literally got news as the show yeah, was starting. It, it, it's, <laughs> it's tax season. Um, so, you know, Wesley Snipes is in the news again. We got a little bit of <laughs> we we got some uh, blade. blade like that? I'm sorry, we got some blade news. Yeah, yeah. So Wesley Snipes has been talking about this forever and ever and ever. He's always been teasing that there's going to be a Blade movie, and sure enough, there's murmurs that it will be an R-rated Blade movie. And I've always wanted to say that I with a caveat. That. With a caveat, and that caveat is, this is really interesting to me. Um, the caveat is. Is going to be Wesley Snipes playing Blade, and he'll be training his daughter to be the new vampire hunter, right? Mm -hmm. Kind of whole gender swap, right. but not really. It's his daughter, you know, keeps him a younger generation. Mm -hmm. And here's the interesting thing the character Fallon Gray, you can't find her first appearance. You can, but it never came out. That's I remember the, that. So there was a Comic -Con, San Diego Comic-Con 2015. They announced there would be a new Blade comic and his daughter would be in it. The character's name was Fallon Gray. Well, guess what? It got delayed. It never came out. Huh. So this is literally jumping the shark. The movie's going to come out before the comic book or if it does come out, 
It's going to be before the comic book does. Or so the comic or, book is it never produced. It's just it, or it got delayed and never got ended up getting made. There was going to be wow. a new Blade series that gotcha. they announced at San Diego Comic Con right. 2015, and they even announced the character's name. There was some. They even you know during the presentation they showed like a on the screen what she was going to look like and everything the character designs. Right. Ended up being Fallon Gray never got made. So there's an actual first appearance of a that was going to yeah, be made. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm digging it. Huh. So that's why it's interesting. If this movie gets made and it's starring Fallon Gray, as soon as that comic comes out, it's going to blow up because people are going to be speculating. Like, isn't that interesting, though? The movie mm-hmm. comes out, then the first appearance of the comic right. character comes out yeah. after the movie's announced. I, I well, thought that was kind of interesting. We've never had, ran anything like that before where they had an idea for a character and never came out, but they're going to use the character in a movie. You know, the and sales then the numbers on that book would be very interesting. It's going to uh, be well, insane. Well, <laughs> People I'm curious if they, did a, if they did a in the previews, if it was ever in Marvel previews, and I just it never got that far. I could not. Yeah. I trust me, Froons. I heard it. I went to go buy the first appearance, and I couldn't find it. <laughs> so even before I told anybody, I was like, "Man, I can't find it. I might as well tell everybody because that's the way I am. I'm selfish that way." Well, but anyway, speaking about first appearances, and we've been saying this since we heard Fox news, uh, Fox rumors, um, Avengers vs X Men movie might be in the works. It possible. is they're in the early talks about it. It's going to be down the road. They're going to follow the same routine as Avengers did. So, so they're going to make some like X-Men speculation movies. Alert. The next big thing will be Avengers versus X-Men. Uh, now I'm really jealous of our boy Wolverine who has, what is that? Uh, is it a, a Avengers or X-Men 9? The yeah. first meeting of the X-Men and X-Men the Avengers. 9. Now this is the speculation alert. Is this what you want? Do you want X-Men 9? Or do you want AVX, number one? That's what I'm asking. What do you guys think? Do you guys want the first time they met in the Silver Age? Or do you actually want the AVX Justin, didn't series? we just raffle that book off at the swap? You guys yeah. uh, yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't tell you the news. <laughs> <laughs> there's some great there's some great variants in uh, that a- AVX run, if you remember that AVX run. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, we definitely had a, we had a, what, 9.8? I don't know. That X Men 9 looks pretty goddamn sexy, though. Yeah, it man. does. Yeah. yeah it does. No, we yeah, had, a, I, we didn't, had a... I didn't want to tell Bobby after he posted his 7.0 that that was a great spec book because I didn't want it to go to his head. Maybe. But... <laughs> but it was not our book. We had somebody, I, I think, tripled no. Is it Connecticut Comics that brought it to us, Justin? I think. Um, yeah. Or Dennis, Dennis Four Comics. Yeah. I no, think I that X Men 9 is, it's, I think it, ever the since book. the merger, I think people have been buying it up and now sure. it's just going to fuel those rumors uh, yeah. with that. So that X Men 9 is, is first Silver Age meeting uh, mm-hmm. ever, our first ever meeting yep. of X Men Avengers. Yeah. What's Great next, Ryan? Book. Well, uh, speaking about X Men, it looks like Kevin Feige talked about recasts, except yeah, one man. particular person. Well, that's not even surprising. So, right, um, which is smart. I mean, it's a good move. Yeah. What do you think? I mean, so basically, Kevin Feige is look. I'm and when I get the X Men, I'm recasting everybody except for you guessed it, Ding Ding Deadpool, who's going to remain. And I believe I, Bob Iger of Disney already said that we will continue to make R-rated Deadpool movies. What do you think about that? Auto recasting all the X Men except for Deadpool? Yeah. I mean, I think we, we think with um, with Dark Phoenix ending, kind of ending the run. You get another reboot. I'm okay with it. You know, real quick, I just want to backtrack. The international trailer, I think, for Dark Phoenix was absolutely amazing. Excellent. If you're, yeah, fire. it was phenomenal. I've, we got to talk about that, but if you haven't seen it, go online. I actually yep. go to the Lords of the Longbox Facebook page. I posted it. The international trailer for Dark Phoenix is excellent. It yeah, Justin, did you watch the story it? much better. But go uh, ahead. I, 
I sent it to you, remember? I was the one who said this is so oh, much better. <laughs> I sent it to you and I said this is so much better. And yeah, you're really not giving Prime any love at all. Bottom us up. He joins you, Facebook yeah. and he ignores everybody. All right. yeah, no, that's right. No, man, I, whoever, I know. I'm stuck for words here, but it was awesome. Um, keeping, reboot it. Let's see. Um, you know, whatever you do, do not make Daniel Radcliffe Wolverine. I'll put a gun in my head or something like that. <laughs> no, no, then, they were, uh, who was the casting that I saw? No, it was, never mind. No, I'm, yeah, I'm thinking about something else, but the dude from Twilight they were trying to get for Batman. I was like, hey, yeah, right. Him for Twilight, stuff like that. So I'm okay with it. I like Ryan Reynolds' Deadpool. You can make 50 of those movies. I'll still go watch them all. So, yeah. um, bring on the new stuff, you know, with the ending of if Dark Phoenix is the closure of it. But you know what? It's almost like, okay. I understand recasting Magneto, Professor X. They've been in it for a while. Which but were if, good. This, if this young cast, like Sophie Turner, does well, the young the young Cyclops kids look dead on like Cyclops, man. Dead on Scott Summers, right? Yeah. Because, you know, I've always said, if they're going to reboot the X-Men, they got to reboot it like uh, young, like, you know, right. going to school level X-Men. Like what Marvel's doing with Phase 4, it looks like they're bringing a lot of young characters in. So, I mean, it, it'd be interesting. But, yeah, they, they have to recast. I mean, you know, because I, I, I would think they're going to go younger. I don't know what they're going to do with the young cats. Maybe there's a happy in-between where they get like 20-something-year-olds or something like that. Because right now they're all relatively young but sophie turner to me man she she looks like a good phoenix more so than the gal from the uh, x-men 2 i didn't really dig her as phoenix man but i think sophie turner i'm telling you go check out the international trailer for dark phoenix i yeah I was it was super good. impressed it with was me. really good you know, I'm go, looking at the go picture x-men 101 justin you did send it to me <laughs> yeah That's all right ryan what's next so last but not least and this is breaking news uh, as soon as we logged in to get on the show we got this news uh, Idris Alba is in talks or is he been selected nope. to replace? Yeah, so uh, it's not Don Cheadle. Uh, it's <laughs> so there was a really bad rumor started by another bad website that Don Cheadle was going to be. Um, so basically, uh, a web uh, Twitter account called Les Cinefowl, which is a French parody account, tweeted that Don Cheadle was going to be replacing Will Smith as Deadshot, and other and other websites ran with it. Don Cheadle tweeted, "No, I never did this." So yet again, it's just people too quick to get news and not to look at the actual information itself. Just like our friend Comicron did earlier, John, with all the data. Be careful of the actual headlines, man. Get into it. Research it yourself. Find out the real information. Get the real data before you blurt out, tweet out, Facebook out, IG out, anything, right? I mean, you know, we had friends that blurted out things that Grace Randolph said that the Dark Phoenix movie was in. Mm -hmm. No, they didn't. You know, there was rumors that they started pulling marketing materials for the Dark Phoenix. No, we just got an international trailer. So... Idris Elba, what do you guys think about that, man? Justin, I, like I, I, I me, I think Idris Elba drips cool. I think he's the for coolest sure. cat on uh, I'm still right waiting now. for them to make him 007. That would be dope, man. You know he DJs too? No, I didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, house music, but yeah, whatever. But he still DJs. I mean, like at gigs, at clubs and stuff. Justin, what do you think about Idris Elba as Deadshot? I think it's a great, it's a good move. I mean, a, a lot of these uh, actors and actresses who've done the Marvel side are now jumping over to DC side. I think it's a, it's a cool, it's going to be very well. Uh, I can't, I can't, you know, he's been what he was, uh, what's his name from Thor? Hemdall. Uh, yeah, Hemdall. I think he has uh, the physicality for it. Because uh, remember that uh, Stephen King movie he did? Uh, the Gun. I was just going to say that, yeah. Uh, Dark Tower. The Dark, Dark Tower. Dark Tower. Yeah, too bad that movie. I mean, it was good, yeah, man. But you know, but he was. I thought he was pretty cool in that. He has the physicality to do it. And you know, Will Smith is a little bit over. I think James Gunn. This obviously this is for the new Suicide Squad movie. James Gunn wants to put his own 
actors in oh, there sure. and stuff like that. I wouldn't be surprised. I want to be Dave Bautista's like, damn it, man. I wish I can get over there. The Marvel's like, all right, <laughs> we'll get what you want it for. You're fired. Now go over there. Right. All that shit you was talking Will earlier. Smith said that he wanted to do Aladdin and he was just like, <laughs> yeah. So Will, Will Smith. Smith. Is, yeah. And I heard it, it could have been because uh, Will Smith's had conflicting schedule as well. But, you know, we don't we don't know. I mean, if Idris Elba goes, Hemdall's dead. So he's like, hey, man, I'm free. I can go do uh, that shot for you. That's right. Yeah, I, like good I like the casting. I think I think James Gunn is going to kill it with Suicide oh, Squad. I think good. he's the no. perfect director for it. Does this affect the first pool of Deadshot? Because I don't have that either. <laughs> I'm sure Justin has four copies. Oh, the first for, appearance uh, of Deadshot? Yeah. Oh, no, I think it'll up. get a bump. I think it'll definitely no, get a bump. I can't imagine. It's already a million dollar book. No, <laughs> but the dead, it's, the first uh, the dead first, shot never Batman, really got that bump because yes, of Suicide Squad. It's, like it's like a, it's in the thousands. No, but what I'm saying is the Suicide Squad movie tanked, so it kind of leveled off after that. You know what I mean? It's so once a book. What did we I'm talk about? There was a book that had a double first appearance that just got a secondary bump, right? When they announced it, it was an oh, FF book. Yeah, remember? Right. I remember. This no, is the same thing. What... This is okay. We're going to cast a different character for it. Let's let's bump it up, right? You know, and you can't really when they do a main character like Spider Man, dude. That you know, Amazing Fantasy fifteen. It's it's going to always be where it's going to be. But you got yeah. these silver and bronze age characters. Sometimes they'll reboot them, and then if Suicide Squad kills it, yeah. you never know. Deadshot. What is Deadshot number one going for? Or with first who? What what it's issue is Batman, that? It's Batman. It's a Batman title. It's a one one forty something. Yeah, I, I can I see him on. The top I can of see head. the cover of it right now. Yeah. Any of you guys have it? No. Yeah, I do. I don't. So it's Batman fifty nine. Batman fifty nine. So it's way yeah. back there. Oh really? Oh yeah. It's a terrible cover. It's like a spaceship and like yeah. meteorite on the inside. It's got him in the tuxedo outfit. It's it's awful. But then like That's the right. first silver or modern appearance where he actually yeah. looks like he does in the Suicide Squad is Detective. But aren't Full most cover. Batman covers one through like 100 all shitty though? I mean, there's, uh, some, there's yeah. some corny Golden Age covers in there, man. I'm just, I say all Is Golden Age covers higher? besides like horror books and uh, were they were all kind of cheesy. If you look at like the Batman and Superman covers, yeah, you know, sure. they, were, they were definitely geared toward kids. There was some silly shit going on in those covers, man. Joseph Taylor, shout out for the 199 Super Chat. We much appreciate it, man. Hey, sorry we're running late. We're only nine minutes late, and we jammed through that section. Yeah, we jammed right through your notes. Hey, we had to yeah, bring in the news. To, yeah, big shout out to Comicron, man, who showed up in the live chat, was answering questions for you guys, man. Really cool cat. You know, he's got such a interesting information. Oh, my gosh. Just, dude, I mean, he went out there, and he grabbed that data. He went out. Yes, he we were did. talking about going to. He's going to get microfilm. At Hostess Microfilm. <laughs> microfilm, bro. Microfilm. Bro, Hostess, right? It's unbelievable the data that he generates and just the, the backstory. Dude, if you go to Comic Con, it has sales going back to 1995. So yeah, no, I was on the site. He did yeah. a very good write up about the history of, let's not forget when Marvel bought all those trading cards, when he bought Fleer and stuff like that. He talked about that. The charts for me, I'm so dyslexic that the numbers bounce everywhere. So, you know, charts are very difficult for me, but I like to look at lists and I like to look at timelines. And he did a very good timeline of Marvel with the uh, with their bankruptcy, with their uh, purchasing of the uh, the trading cards and stuff like that. It was really really interesting to see. So that's a couple clicks in there too if you want to see that. So very interesting data. All right, guys, we are running ten minutes late, so we're gonna try to jump off here now. We're gonna definitely put this up on podcast so you guys can listen to it. I I think it's absolutely important. 
that you guys listen to this. And I was just saying that for clicks and views, but I think the information that Comic Cron gave and debunking some of the stuff that was said at Comics Pro. And sometimes you, you, when you see numbers, you really have to dig into it and do the data for yourself. When they say 10% of comic shops are closing, well, it's not really 10% because most of those weren't really what you would, you and I would consider our brick and mortar LCS, right? right. Mm -hmm. It was ice cream parlor that sold comic books or some other crazy shit like that. That's, right. you know, I mean, that's the interesting stuff. So thank you for everybody in the live chat for joining us. Justin, any last words? Uh, if Comic Con's still in the live chat, I'm I'm definitely gonna hit up my LCS tomorrow, and I'm definitely haven't put in the trade order for Knights of the Old Republic Volume One and Volume Two and Volume Three when it comes out. So I'm excited. I'm gonna go pick them up. So yeah. it's it's gonna be collected in the Epic Collection. So it's gonna be three series that collects those fifty issues. Yeah, he said Volume One and Volume Two are already out. He said Volume Three is in uh, June or awesome. July. So I'm definitely gonna have. <sighs> we got to bring him on to talk about like Knights of the Republic to see mm -hmm. if any of that's going to be used as canon in the. Yeah. Uh, nah, but he wouldn't tell right. us. Too many Disney snipers in the round. <laughs> Otto, any last words? No, thank you very much. It was good. I'm definitely going to check out the Discovery because right now I'm halfway through Star Trek Discovery, and Pike, the Pike character, uh, is pretty cool. Spock is in it. So I'd like to see he, the way he wraps it up. I'm all in that in Discovery. If you were to rank um, Star Trek shows for me, Deep Space Nine is my favorite, and this is really creeping up there. I know Ryan's watching it too. It's so. fantastic. Um, it's it really, really, really good. That's the CBS streaming show. Yes. That's on the CBS streaming, yeah. It's, and, uh, uh, it's, it's Sasha from Walking Dead. It's, it's, ama yeah. it's amazing. She, yeah, she, no, does, she does a season, brilliant right? job. Yeah. yeah. It's on its second season, six or uh, five or six episodes in it. Spock heavy. So much stuff to watch oh, now. I know. It's I know. Like, you got to make time for it. I'm, so, yeah, so I'm, I'm looking forward to that new Twilight up. Zone too. Oh yeah, yeah. No, too much with stuff. Jordan Peele. Mm -hmm. yeah. oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Otto. Yeah, no, no. Just gonna wrap up and say, you know, yeah. Um, three men in the basement. We're gonna do a live show Friday, uh, Saturday around five o'clock. Um, we're gonna have our boy Frank from Always Collecting jump in, talk about some books and some statues and how he invests. So it's gonna be a great show. So again. We've got the Lords popping, the three men's popping. So it's just been a great time. And this is a wealth of information. I can't wait to listen to this again on the podcast. So, again, yeah. thank you very much to Comicron for jumping mm -hmm. on with us. Shout out to uh, Brick Hunter in the live stream. Brick Hunter was the uh, grand prize winner of the oh. Lords of the Longbox 3000 contest. If you guys want to see what I gave him, click nice. on his channel name right there in the live chat and There's go to it. I gave him a big box of porn. Excuse me. I'm just yeah. kidding. I gave him a big box of comics. He's got a shirt from a geeky swag shop, and he's got a Batman who lasts from KRS Comics on the mail mm. in the way. So, nice. yeah, shout out to the comic chief also. He's the only one who actually made a video for the Lords of the Longbox 3000 giveaway. And as of right now, we're at 3,101 subs. So we've gone 100 subs up since our last 3,000. Thank you, everybody. Sub. Yeah. Ryan, any last words? Nothing. Nothing. Thank you. All right. Thank it, you. Shit, we're running into people's time. Oh, oh, fuck you too, motherfucker. <laughs> anyway, hey, uh, shout out to the great legend. His I'm show trying is to look on, out for everybody else. Yeah, yeah his show's on in nice, 45 minutes. Check out the great legend. He's got a live show tonight at 8 p.m. So go peep that out. Hey, uh, I did a, a really quick top variant Tuesday video yesterday, and I want to tell you guys about it for you anime fans. Uh, I found a dope, dope remix of the Cowboy Bebop uh, theme song with a hip-hop trap beat on it. I thought it was so sick. And normally, I will only do Top Bear on Tuesday if I have good music to put behind it. And I thought that damn Cowboy Bebop anime uh, song was dope. So go check it out, Top Bear on Tuesday. Maybe you'll see Ryan this Friday doing Chronic Back Issues. Yes, you will. will. Yes. Because you, you were supposed to go last Friday, right? I was supposed to, but I did that trailer reaction and it messed me up ah yeah yeah, yeah. The trailer check out China's trailer reaction that was pretty good actually you may have to do the international one okay sure yeah okay that was the hellboy one too 
And I'm going to give you a Godzilla one. And then, oh my gosh, gonna, I'm just going to do them all. Why yeah. not? You're the reaction guy. I want you to react to that one dude who reacts the same in every video. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> you got to like make a, a meme of that. That is 50 the best. videos, and it's the same reaction for everything, man. <laughs> it Those really and, is. That's the inside joke. It but really hey, is. thank you everybody for joining us. Uh, shout out to Comicron. Check, subscribe to his YouTube channel. Follow him on Twitter. Definitely check out Comicron.com to get all your sales data. We've used that to give you the top 10 sales list, and we talk about Batman and Spider Man always in the top 10. He spends a lot of hard work compiling that data. Go check out Comic-Con. It's a great, great resource. You can spend there all day looking at sales data. And I think as a collector, if you want to know how healthy the comic book market is, where it's been in the past, and where the trends are going, you'll know that we're not in a bubble. We're fine. And if the bubble does burst, I didn't say that. But hey, (laughs) it's on wax, so I said it. So until next time, boys and girls, keep digging in them long boxes.